This podcast may contain content that is not suitable for listeners under the age of 18. If you are 17 or younger and wish to educate yourself about sex and relationships, you should visit scarletine.com. That's scarletine with one T. Hey, I'm Alicia, your non-monogamous relationship coach. Welcome to the podcast where my friends and I chat about our relationships, enthusiastic non-monogamy, polyamory, swinging, kink, and our lives. You'll get a candid peek into what makes it worth it to live life outside the box. And in case you're still wondering, nope, we're not monogamous. What are the biggest pitfalls of open relationships and how can you avoid them? I'm talking to Shai and Leah today, the creators of the Secure Poly Collective, about exactly this. And I'm really excited to share this with you because they have so many wonderful, wonderful tools and ideas and so much to share with you about how to feel more safe, seen, and loved while also having the freedom to explore open relationship adventures that lead to fulfilling growth and healing and service to others. And I just, I relate to these two so much. I adore them. I've uh, met them virtually on multiple occasions, and, and we'll tell you a little bit about that. If you enjoy this episode, please hit the follow button and leave a review so that more people can hear. Enjoy. Oh, there we go. I found it. <laughs> So, um, so first I want to, well, welcome you guys, obviously. Hi. <laughs> um, so Shay and I have met virtually a couple of times, but Leah and I have never had a conversation before today, even though we've seen each other in an intimate setting. Oh, oh. <laughs> because you oh. guys host the virtual pleasure garden that for me was like this absolute oasis of like joy and sensuality and pleasure in the middle of this like pandemic lockdown. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love the word oasis for that. That's perfect. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> so that was my introduction to you guys. And it was so much fun. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear you say that. Yeah. We've done so many of them and they get, they just keep getting better and better. So thanks for bringing that up. We, we put a lot of work into them. Yeah. They've even been an interesting way for people to explore opening their relationship without dropping into a live event with tons of people around. So it's had some very interesting alternative benefits there. Wonderful. I love it. <laughs> Today, you guys are talking about the five pitfalls, mm -hmm. biggest pitfalls of open relationships and how to avoid them. And I mean, I'm sure there's more than five, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but but we're excited to hear to hear about those but before we do that I would love to hear a little bit about you two and like um what non-monogamy looks like for you kind of what your story is sure yeah should I go first yes please okay so I was I always say that I was a monogamous for like three decades and I was really good at it I had the whole wife, two kids, great business, white picket fence, and everything was wonderful. Um, I was living the dream. However, something inside always said, 
but wait a minute, like, is this all there that this is going to be? I'm going to be spending most of my time with this one person. And if I have feelings for somebody else, I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible person and I should be shamed for it. Like I always had that gnawing like feeling. And it's not, it's not that my wife at the time wasn't getting my needs met. She was getting many of my needs met, but I didn't know that there were other needs that were at play. They were mysterious to me at the time. So we had, she was not interested in, in polyamory. I became like obsessed with it. Once I, sh- I saw, um, it was called Polyamory Married and Dating on Showtime, Kamala Devi's show. And then I read Sex at Dawn and a few other books. And I was just like, this is what we should do. And she was like, oh, hell no, 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 no. And it went from, do you want a divorce to a three-year conversation? So we opened up our marriage. We had an open marriage. And all we knew was the way Kamala Devi did it, right? Like you go have a partner that you're committed to, and I'll go have my other partner that I'm committed to. And we'll just, you know, do the thing. We didn't know so much. I mean, we weren't trauma-informed. We didn't know about the different styles and different variations. And she asked me for a divorce seven months into our open marriage. And I was heartbroken. I was shocked because everything else was really good between us, like really, really good relationship. And the hardest part was sitting the kids down and saying, mom and dad are getting a divorce because to them, they're like, what? what do you mean? They're like five and 10 looking at us like, what are you talking about? You never fight. You get along. Aren't people, don't people that get divorced, like not get along with each other? We're very confused. So that was hard. So, so she asked me for a divorce. I had to accept it. That was the risk I was taking opening up. I knew what I was getting myself into. So I did the most natural thing. I invited her boyfriend to move in with us. I invited my girlfriend to move in with us. <laughs> the and most natural of- thing. <laughs> yeah. It's very normal. So eight of us lived together on the property, you know, four adults, four kids. We built a little community out of it. It was lovely. We weren't super close with each other, but we had our lovely moments and holidays and things like that. And, and then there were other variations of living. But today, uh, well, up until, until recently, Lee and I were living with our other partner, Chrissy, and then my ex-wife, Danielle, and the kids. And, you know, you always have different iterations over the years of formations of who you live with. but yeah, we get along really well. I was just this morning was driving away and Leah and my ex-wife Danielle were outside talking mm. to each other and like so vi- nice. vibing and stuff. And then we had an event called Relate Fest and I invited uh, Danielle, my ex-wife and Mike, who are also coaches to come down to Miami to be a part of Relate Fest and speak. And we had dueling <laughs> workshops. Like <laughs> Leah and I were in one room trying to make our people laugh and they were in the other room trying to make their people laugh. And it was just like, we ended up competing anyway. Yeah. We ended up competing yeah. because you know, you can't get rid of that, <laughs> but no, uh, we, we, we just get along really well. And um, so, I, so she went on to be monogamish and I went on to be polyamorous on the spectrum. And I've always had two, for the most part, two committed partnerships at any given time. Um And then about six years ago, I met this angel sitting next to me, Mm -hmm. Leah, and how she comes into it, I think is, uh, is interesting. I'll let her tell her part, but I will be vulnerable first. People like vulnerable men, right? So when I first met Leah, I felt head over heels for her. 
literally told her I loved her on our first date. She, her eyes like popped out of her head. <laughs> and I just knew that, that she was the one that I wanted to spend at least a lot of time with. And six months later, because we, we, I, I was tr- kind of transitioning from another partner. So I was with Leah for about six months mostly. And then I met Chrissy. And I brought Chrissy in fast and furious because that's all I knew is like, oh, you're, you love someone, you confess your love and you make them your next primary partner because, you know, that's Polly. Little did I know, and I feel guilt for that, that Leah was processing and, re, and, and being re-traumatized in ways that I didn't understand. I wasn't attachment theory informed. I didn't know her attachment style. I didn't know her abandonment traumas. And when I was leaving for three nights out of the week to spend time with at Chrissy's house, I didn't know what that was doing to Leah. And I've since then learned that it wasn't just her not getting it intellectually, like her actual needs weren't getting met. You know, her sense of safety, significance, connection, her actual needs were not getting met. And I didn't comprehend that. And I didn't understand trauma. I was just like, Oh, she just needs to get this. She just needs to get this and she'll get over these bumps and she'll have a monogamy detox, right? Yeah, once it so, clicks, it'll all be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Just, needs to, just needs to click. Yep. So thank God for Jessica Fern and Polly Secure. Big shout out to Jessica because her book, and I don't read that many books, I'm being vulnerable again. <laughs> um, her book is like the first book I read in a while about Polly because I didn't want to read any more about Polly. I just wanted to do it. And I was just like, aha, the light bulb went off. This was not about Leah getting it intellectually. This was a nervous system thing, biology. Her nervous system is just not going along for the ride. And here I'm just trying to talk her into it. And that's not the way to go. What really needed to happen was shining to slow the fuck down. I needed to slow down. I needed to put on seatbelts and speed limits and give her time to heal, make her feel seen and important. And the past year and a half or so have been game changing. I've created a vessel or a container for Leah to start healing in. We've changed how we've dated, right? We've mostly dated together instead of apart. And a lot of that has been not perfect, but I'd say we've had more healing experiences this past year and a half. And we're starting to, to like turn the corner into what could be a more poly secure relationship. And I talked too much. So I'm going to let Leah share <laughs> her experience because it might be different than mine. <laughs> thank you. Uh, when, when she came in six years ago. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. I just, I love that you talk about the nervous system and, and that whole piece, because that is like the part that I keep trying to hammer away at. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Leah, tell me, tell me, tell me what, what your story is. Well, when I, (laughs) I love these like Disney movie synopsis. Uh Um, So like shy, I had spent most of my adult life also monogamous and I was really good at the sexual physical part of monogamy, but I wasn't so great at the emotional and intellectual side of monogamy. I realized when I met shy that I had had multiple emotional, intellectual affairs. I was having heart and brain sex with other people and something just felt like staring down the barrel of being married for 60 odd years and having a world of intimacy 
relegated to one person just seemed odd to me from the moment I got married, even from the moment I got engaged. But again, I am a, I would say a little bit jealous and possessive as a person. <laughs> I have horrible qualifications for Polly. I'm a only child Scorpio with a long lineage of only children. So I have no blueprint to share. I don't like sharing. I'll just be honest. Um, <laughs> and plus the, the whole gamut of life experiences that would lead a person to not want to share, to feel threatened by abandonment, deep rejection, deep bullying, all of it, per- perfect life cocktail to bring in. So I was married for 12 years monogamously. And then about three weeks after my separation, I decided to sign up for online dating And out of all the people that were messaging me with very, very sad, unappealing messages, one of them stood out and that happened to be this one. And he's the, I immediately said, nope, I can't do this. But two days later, I did ayahuasca for the first time. And that created a massive opening in my consciousness. And I came home questioning all of the paradigms. I had already been questioning a number of paradigms of the way I lived my life with food, nutrition, health, but love wasn't, hadn't been one of them yet. So when I came back, I was like, all right, I'll message him back. Give it a try. He's the first person I message. And he was completely transparent with me right away and owned who he was. The first thought I had was, what the hell is going on out here after 12 years? Has everyone lost their mind? So I was a little discouraged. But after that, I really remembered that something just hadn't felt right about the lifelong pair bonded marriage container. So I gave it a try. And then I accidentally also fell head over heels in love. And, (laughs) and I just had to see more. And we had quite a journey in the next few months. And I can say I brought every unconscious, insecure, attaching pattern, relating pattern in because we didn't know anything. And when Chrissy came along, even though there were incredibly beautiful, expansive experiences, and she to this day is my most favorite woman in the whole world, my best friend. It was an utter reckoning of the most profound emotional distress I have ever experienced. And I won't sugarcoat it because I don't want to let people know that it can't be very challenging. It can. And the big challenge was we had no training not really. Here we were performing open heart and brain surgery or soul surgery. And, you know, we get trained to be a doctor, to ride a bike, to learn to drive a car, but none of us get any training about love and relationships, especially opening them up. And certainly no one trained us to stay together once someone builds a relationship or sleeps with someone else. So the last six years have been a true journey. That's the best word I can describe. Many ups and downs. But somewhere along the way, we decided that there wasn't enough community out there to support couples like us where we loved each other so much. And we both believed in this. 
but it just wasn't working. There were just patterns and boundaries and passive aggressiveness and things. And we found the online communities to be quite inhospitable to anyone feeling jealous or scared or uh, scarce and sort of the lynch mob mentality around that. And I thought, where do I belong? I don't know where, (laughs) I don't know who I belong to. So we created our own community, uh, Leveled Up Love, where we accept any and all emotions, no matter what they are. It is meant to be the safest place online for people to feel all of it, to work through all of it, to celebrate what open relating offers, to embrace the healing it can offer, but also acknowledge the deep struggles that people are feeling and adapting to this. So our love and connection as challenging as it can be sometimes has grown to a mission that's greater than just us and our family. And that's what I think keeps us going Mm. besides I love you. Mm. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) They're over here snuggling each other. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I, I, so your story is so relatable. I, um, I was also married 12 years monogamously (laughs) and I'm an only child who, uh, tends to be very jealous and possessive and a Scorpio. Uh, (laughs) Uh, the big difference is when I got divorced immediately, I was like, I don't ever want to do that again. (laughs) because for me, it was the sexual piece, right? Like I want to not have sex with one person for the next 15 years and then find myself in my fifties searching for that one person again. Oh yeah. And then like three weeks later, I met my now husband. (laughs) (laughs) who was like, I'm Polly. And I was like, what is that? I don't, I don't think I want anything to do with that. (laughs) And here you are doing a a podcast. Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And here we are trying to help help people have more wonderful relationships. <laughs> How long did it take you, would you say, to transition from like, hell, I, I don't want anything to, to do with that to like where you are today, which is probably more okay with it? We'll be right back. Hey, it's Alicia here. You know, the voice you've been tuning into episode after episode. Today, I'm popping in with an invitation that's really close to my heart. Behind the scenes, I've been crafting something special just for you, my dedicated listeners. If there's a voice inside you that's seeking guidance on navigating the realms of relationships and non-monogamy, um, wanting to like boost your confidence and find that unwavering sense of security, or you're struggling to manage the tricky waters of jealousy... I'm here to offer my support. I've cleared my schedule to open up 50 slots this month for free one-on-one clarity chats directly with me. So this is your opportunity to dive deep into those pressing questions and come out on the other side with newfound clarity and direction. The availability on this is super limited and these spots are going to fill up really fast. So don't miss your chance to connect with me. Head over to my website, aliciapayne.com right now. Go secure your spot because together we can uncover a path to a more joyful, fulfilling, and easy non-monogamous journey. Talk to you soon. Oh, um. Was it years? No. No, it was a couple of months, probably. Uh, Intellectually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like I immediately read like the ethical slut and, you know, some of the, the, the the early, earlier uh, books based around non-monogamy and was like, this, this all makes sense. I don't think I'm polyamorous, but I'm definitely not monogamous. Mm 
And I thought, <laughs> but I probably won't fall in love with another person until I did. <laughs> right, right. So em- emotionally, like nervous system wise, is it still struggle sometimes? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny how now I can look at the emotions and go, oh, I'm having this emotion. Mm-hmm. And I can like come back to, to a baseline so much easier and go, actually, I could, this is just a thing I'm going to feel and I'm going to move through it. But like the world isn't falling apart and there isn't a lion chasing me and I'm not going to die. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's, we were just talking about that. Like, what do you call it? Like, like feeling discomfort without collapse or something. Yeah. That's my goal for this oh. year, because for much of the last year, we had a series of experiences where I couldn't convince myself that the house wasn't burning down and there isn't wasn't a lion chasing me. It was very hard to make that distinction, I think, for many of us. So this year it's discomfort without collapse and just trusting each time as the wave comes up that it's not going to pull you under like a riptide, but you'll just kind of float on top and maybe sputter a bit, but then it'll yeah. smooth out at some point. So that's the goal this year. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, I love that. It's a good place to be. <laughs> Yeah. And and I, I think, you know, it just, it takes so much work. Yes. And the question <laughs> is, is the trade-off worth it, right? Yeah. It's all about a trade-off. It's never going to be perfect. We shouldn't expect perfection. Like, yeah. you know, I was just telling Leah, I was like, we are such a great match. And here are 20,000 reasons why I want to change my behaviors because I love you. And the trade-off is, yeah, I might not have quote as much freedom, but I'm willing to make, to be flexible and make quote quotations again, sacrifices to help you not have that collapse. And what I want to add to that is that it might sound triggering for some who are like, oh, you shouldn't change anything about what you're doing. You're compromising. Let them do That's the not work. not real love. They should. Yeah. And what we've come to understand, uh, I'm, I decided to become an expert on the nervous system and anxiety. So this is what I'm trying to be a, a Jedi <laughs> in those departments. And what I'm coming to understand is that a lot of times this lifestyle is thought of as an abundance mindset. But what I'm encountering is that when someone shifts to limit, to adapt, to adjust, to slow down, a lot of scarcity comes up around that. No, you shouldn't limit yourself. You're compromising who you are. And what we're learning is that by going a little more tantrically, slowly, creating more light exposure experiences for the both for, especially for me, but for both of us too, and processing, adapting, getting the right support to rewrite our internal programs and stories. The doors are opening again, those limits. Some, I don't know that some might not be permanent, but they're not intended to be permanent. They're intended to be ways, guardrails as we regrow, rebirth ourselves into this so that it can open and not be a constant emergency. And I think that that's important for people to understand as an option in this. Yeah. I think a lot of people unconsciously bring a sledgehammer to, (laughs) to, to like what should be like delicate surgery, emotional surgery, right? They should be bringing a scalpel. And I didn't know that. I was like, a sledgehammer is like, first you're monogamous and now you're like communal poly all of a sudden (laughs) with like V formations with another person that you're sharing your partner with fully. And living with. (laughs) And living with. It's just like, no, that's not the way to go. You need to to stair step your way 
into it. So yeah. It's pictured like when you go bowling with a little kid and you, they have the option for the little, uh, the yep. gutter, the gutter barriers so that they don't, so their ball doesn't go in the gutter every single freaking time. And then they never right. want to bowl again. Exactly. <laughs> That's the literally wow, the image great, I just had in my head. What a great analogy. <laughs> yeah. What a great analogy. Yep, exactly. I love that. It's kind of like, I, and I use that same analogy for parenting, yes, um, yes. you know, because I wanted my, my wife and I, and we are kind of those, um, guardrails, um, but we don't like squeeze in. We let them kind of bounce around, you know, and, and they'll make their way down. They'll get little dings here and there, but they're not going to like become drug addicts or, right? you know, like go off the rails and get pregnant and all those things. So we want to have some guardrails, but not be like helicopter parents who have like, like right. literally like a guardrail that's like a foot wide and like you're just like going down a straight line. That's not very interesting and the kids can't develop. And similarly, that that's, Maybe in our relationship when we started, Chrissy, we didn't even really have guardrails. Oh, there was nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> my my favorite analogy, since we love analogies on this, um, <laughs> around the perception that if someone can't handle it all, they are not cut out for this. That's a oh. big thing I struggled with was I'm not good enough for this. I'm not emotionally intelligent enough. And back to the children, you know. If a kid wants to learn how to swim, you're going to put swimmies on him and he'll stay in the shallow end. You're not going to tell him, well, because you're not ready for the Olympics, you can't be in the pool at all. And it's that sort of kind of extreme binary polarized uh, viewpoint that I think is creating the big schism and preventing people from trying and staying and finding how this can work for them. Yeah. Get it perfect or don't do it. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love your um, talking about the nervous system and like moving slowly. I always, I always tell my clients that it's like a balloon, right? If you blow it up too fast, it'll pop. But if you stretch it <laughs> out and like, you know, you yeah. blow it up a little bit and let the air go down a little bit and you just kind of play with the edges of, of what its limit is. Then it, you're <laughs> actually, you're actually describing something I'm reading in a fantastic book. I recommend to anyone who experiences anxiety is called rewire your anxious brain by Catherine Pittman. It's incredible. You're describing exposure therapy where you take a situation, a phobia, some kind, and you write down all of the different aspects that that any experience related to that topic, like shopping malls or spiders or poly, (laughs) all of the different elements that can trigger you like seeing a text from another person on your partner's phone, hearing him laugh with another partner, going out on a date, coming back from the date, watching them eye gaze, knowing they're having sex. Like it, it escalates that way. Bed being unmade. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you approach each scenario with a really safe, intentional container. You blow up the balloon so that you trigger the system. You actually have to trigger the system in order to reprogram it, but then you let the air out of the balloon until your anxiety level is half of what it normally gets to. And then you've successfully begun to unwind that anxiety where this is what we're doing now, actually. I love this. And that book is on my list. <laughs> oh, yeah, amazing. yeah. I love this. Thank you. Okay. What are the five biggest pitfalls? Okay. <laughs> got this, got this. So we, in talking to members of our leveled up love community on Facebook and, and our clients, 
we started to find some trend lines and there are five pitfalls that are pretty big that you want to kind of try to avoid. Uh, the first is community. Well, a lot of us find that as polyamorous people, our friends and our family really don't get us. We can't go to them for traditional relationship help because it's hard for them to, to relate. Um, so I always like to offer a solution, which is find, finding a good community. We ended up creating one for our members where they can come and ask their questions and share their vulnerabilities and feel super safe. One of the things in our, in our Facebook group that we focus on is like really making clear that our number one ethos is kindness, Yeah. right? Like don't disagree. I mean, you can disagree without being mean or disagreeable with other people. So if people do become that way, we escort them out of the group and let them know that it's just not a match and they might hate us because we blocked them on Facebook, but that's how important it is to us that we want to, you know, have that environment. The, the second pitfall is education. So there's all kinds of education there out there about polyamory, many books. Our education is really kind of more focused on, you know, we bring in Jessica Fern to, to do workshops and it's very attachment theory informed education, emotional attunement, co-regulation of the nervous system. It's not just focused on like rules and boundaries and like best practices, but really getting into the nitty gritty of what makes an open relationship work. It's not just like, be, you know, don't tell me, you know, what position you were in uh, with your partner last <laughs> night and make sure you're home before 1am and don't have your partner sleep in our bed, like all these things. I don't consider that education. I think the bigger work lies in how do we attune to each other? How do we communicate with each other? So that kind of education is really, really important. The third pitfall is unaddressed trauma, right? That's always the elephant in the room. And here we are writing books about how to do poly, but Jessica is the first one that brought attachment theory and trauma and polyamory together in one place. And she's like our spirit animal now. Like she's a part of all of our live events. I'm so excited about that. And like, when she says, yes, I'm like, yes, I will move the date for you. I will do anything you want me to do. Just please show up. <laughs> and she's, she's, she's a yes to our next two big live events. And I'm like, so stoked about that. That's amazing. So, Again, because I, I, I'm so grateful for how she shifted me and how she presented, you know, how important trauma healing is. So what we did is we created the Secure Poly Collective, which is a series of workshops every month. And many of them focus on healing trauma, whether it's plant medicine, Tantra, BDSM and kink, somatic therapy. Like we want to educate our community on all the modalities of how to work with trauma, heal the trauma, because that is the elephant in the room. And if you don't address it, it's going to rear its ugly head one way or the other. Even if you think things are cool, they're cool until they're not. 100% of the time. Yeah. yeah. The fourth pitfall is dating. So many people who um, have been monogamous and they open up, they're like, Woohoo, I'm single again. And I've got my wife. I'm like, you know, like <laughs> taking shit right now. And then they go on a dating site, they set up their profile, they say they're polyamorous and nobody messages them. And they're uh -huh. like, Holy shit. This isn't as fun as I thought it would be because, uh, you know, gen pop is not going to respond to a polyamorous person. So your other option is to go into the polyamorous end of the pool. Now you're limiting yourself to like 5% of the population. <laughs> you may not find people that you match with because you might have certain criteria and then you do find people, but they're polysaturated. So you're like, holy shit, like this is not easy. 
to meet someone. So we've mm-hmm. cre- created a community and we're going to start having social events and social online and offline events because we want to give people a way to meet other people. Yeah. At our last event, Relate Fest, I think I counted like three people who uh, started relationships that I that I noticed just from our <laughs> live event, right? So creating containers for people to meet and fall in love makes me really happy. But yeah, giving them strategies on how to date as polyamorous people, that's the fourth pitfall and solution. And then the last one is if we're honest about it, love is infinite, but time is finite. Meaning, you know, if you don't spend a lot of time with your partner because you got three other partners, you start to lose depth of connection. Um, you just do. It's just a matter of time. So if you're going to be polyamorous and lose time, that's the quantity of time. You better take a look at the quality of time that you have with your partner. So when you are with them, how do you deepen your connection? How do you make it high quality? And we brought in a lot of Tantra uh, practitioners to some of our workshops where they teach us how to give sacred massages and lingam massage and yoni massage and how to communicate tantrically, right? How to slow down when there's rupture. How do you repair in a way that brings you closer together? Because you're going to have rupture. There's no denying it. And how do you slow down when NRE shows up, right? Mm. Like when you've got new relationship energy and you have uh, a tantric mindset, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm falling in love with someone. Okay. But I can slow this down. If it's meant to be, it'll stick around. I can slow it down. I can pace myself. So those are the five pitfalls and some of the solutions we're coming up with. We're, we're, we're like, it's an evolution. We're building it as we go. The more we learn, the more we share. And Leo, he says, we're, you know, we're not sitting here on, in some ivory tower saying we've got it all figured out. We're in the foxhole <laughs> with all of y'all and trying to figure it out. And as we come up with new ideas for healing trauma or anything else, we share them. And uh, I think that our, the members of the Secure Poly Collective appreciate that from us. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. If I could add on to the last piece around NRE. Yeah. I like to say that, um, you know, Jessica Fern was one of the first people writers in the polysphere to openly acknowledge that polyamorous open or open relationships are inherently insecure. I was like, wow, thank you for saying that because you're literally inviting change every day. And NRE really represents the most unpredictable and most potent force in love, which is desire, new desire. And I think when people really start to appreciate that NRE is generating the same chemicals that flow through your body as heroin, cocaine, peak experiences with psychedelics, you know, they tell you with psychedelic medicine, don't make major life changes within two weeks to two months of your experience, but no one has that caution label <laughs> when we're doing this. And that's something we experience. A major, major life change happened within the space of a week. And none of us really knew how to rearrange and adapt to that. It was kind of easier for them, but much less easier for me. And that now there was a vacuum in the time and space I had with my partner and I don't live in an area where gorgeous poly sex gods are walking up off the lawn into our house, much as I wish they were. That'd be lovely. That'd be so nice. Where is that? Um, Yeah. So we, you know, people are like, oh, just find a partner. Well, 
it's easier said than done as we just went over. So I really want people to really take an appreciation of the power of NRE. It's beautiful, it's expansive, and it can also be an object of destruction if it's not handled with care and intention. I completely agree with that. I I often, the thing I tell my clients is that, um, that you can slow down NRE. You can, you can prolong it. You can make it last longer. You can, Mm -hmm. you can enjoy it for much longer. If you aren't just like running after it and trying to grasp onto every second of it, because it's still going to be there without blowing up your other relationships. Exactly. I like what Shai said. If it's meant to be, it will wait. Yeah. I really believe that. Beautiful. I love that. Oh, I wanted to ask you, you're talking about time being finite and, and the quality of time. That's, that's one of the things that my, my husband and I came to the conclusion of was that we feel good about having less time together because the time we spend together is so much more quality and like intentional. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you would suggest for people to uh, be able to shift that a bit? Mm. Yeah. So one of the, uh, alongside our pitfalls, we have these dark horseman questions that we have people ask before they think about this. One of them is first, what are you available for? To new relationships. What do you want to be available for? Do you want to see someone go on a date every couple of weeks? Do you want to see someone two, three times a week? And are you aligned on that? But the second one is when you have this idea, have you made room for that in your relationship, especially when you're in a domestic partnership where mm-hmm. you're like ships passing all day, you're around each other, but you're not with each other. So when now we're devoting intentional time to new partners, cause it's exciting and we're dating and you can feel like the old sneakers in the closet at home, even though you're the time tested bond. So one of the things that we did, I made a list of all the things that we love to do together. And shy has a scheduling link on his calendar. Cause he has the schedule. That's the most unpredictable. So we will schedule time on the calendar and pick something to do. And I'll bring like a fun game to ask questions or we'll do yoga. We have movie nights. This is something we're like recently really intentionally building in uh, to our relationship again. And it's just been amazing. It's something to look forward to. And then we have really rich lives outside of each other with hobbies and friends and our businesses and children. So it's good. It could be more, but it's good right now. Love that. I, I think, you know, we are whole, you know, society, we hear that people in relationships, long-term relationships, especially should be having date nights, intentional time together. And everyone goes, ah, you know, we'll just, it should all just work out naturally. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so like almost, I, almost all of this advice is like relationship universal, regardless of the structure. Like these Absolutely. are just important things to maintain a relationship. I think that everything we've learned in polyamory I'm actually drafting a TED talk on this. I'm going for TED next year. Um, uh, It's literally titled how the lessons of polyamory could make monogamy work better because everything we've learned would make any relationship work better because you don't have the luxury of relying on exclusivity to feel safe anymore. You have to find other ways to keep connected. You can't, you don't, you're not as complacent. 
You can't be. You, can't you be literally complacent. can't be. <laughs> it makes you pay attention to all your relationships. And it's right. I think it's in some ways it's a higher form of commitment, right? Yeah. Uh committing, yeah. committing to keeping your partner safe when and, and and yourself safe when you don't have that that monogamy kind of like backfill always there to to make you feel safe. Yeah. The, on the analogy train. If you think about like we build our lives like a Jenga tower and each block is one aspect. We have our interests, our sexual chemistry. That's usually forms the baseline. And, and if we like broccoli and that's our whole baseline, right? And then we have kids. <laughs> maybe we're on the same page about how we co-parent. Many people aren't. Financial alignment. Maybe, maybe not. That's <laughs> the question. But let's say you have all of these building blocks and the years and your experiences and your memories but what I find straight, straight up monogamy does is put one block under that entire tower, which is exclusivity. And then if that one gets removed, for whatever reason, we don't judge, the whole tower comes crashing down. It's like none of these other blocks mattered. People ask, was it even real? It's like, of course it was real, but a choice was made. So what are you going to do now? I love that analogy so Spoken much. Spoken like a, a true polyamorous. <laughs> As if I were poly or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Let me ask you this. What's something that anyone can do for free that will help them approach relationships in a healthier way? Ooh. Something that anybody for can do for free. free. Do we have any free classes? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think obviously joining a, joining a group that aligns with their values and and lit and 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 seeing the conversations that are taking yeah. place when somebody is presenting a problem and super conscious people are responding and giving them really awesome kind advice. Um, that's our some, group is free. Yeah, I would suggest. I think, I think a, <laughs> a group, a really strong group, is something that would help them. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love your guys's group. It's fantastic. <laughs> that's, a, I, that's a great place to go. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we try. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we try to have something that, that is like, there's levels, right? Like there's some people who want to join something like really that that's free. That's the group. And then we have, and that's a Facebook group, Facebook mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. And then from there you move up to the secure poly collective and that's super affordable right now. It's even like on a 30 day trial and then it's only 47 bucks a month right now. Um, but we offer so much content and that's, yeah. that's affordable. And then we have Relate Fest. It's more like up there because it's a live event and you're traveling. It's a little bit more expensive. And then we have the Open Love Experience. So um, openloveexperience.com, only because I'm so excited that Jessica Fern is joining us. And it's going to be a, wow, like I just feel it in my gut that this is going to be like an incredible, immersive, transformative experience for those who want, you know, that type of experience, but we're going to have, uh, I think we're going to be four nights, three days. Uh, we've got a mansion in Florida, Bayside mansion with, I think it can sleep up to like 20 to 30 people, something like that. And we're going to have education, even private coaching, like one-on-one coaching with Jessica Fern, um, and some of our other coaches. And then, and then like the last day, which will be Sunday, will be like the fun day. So it's like education, coaching, and then lots of fun. So um, we're going to have like, think Cirque du Soleil, like really fancy performances and a private chef cooking dinner for everyone. 
and like a men's circle and a woman's circle and Tantra and a temple night, the whole nine yards. So we're super excited about that. So if any of your listeners are into that, definitely check it out. That sounds decadent and lovely. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then there's a relate fest coming up in the fall, right? Yeah. You're keeping track. Thank you. Yeah, so relayfest.com is another event. And it's, that, that was interesting. We brought together 90 people in Miami and it was for everyone. It was for monogamous and polyamorous and everybody in between. And everybody got along famously, famously, like it was nobody, nobody got into the poly mono debate. Uh, everybody was open-minded and we had amazing facilitators and the next one's going to be even bigger and better and I'm super excited about, about Relate Fest. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Um, is there anything else that you would like the listeners to hear? Yeah. So one thing, one way to sort of remember what it is that our brand stands for, we're cultivating this philosophy or approach to relating called Eco Amory. And it's designed not to be relegated to poly or it's really about ecological, sustainable love. That's like what the name literally translates to. And the idea is that it's an approach to being extremely mindful and making conscious, aware decisions about the entire relationship environment that is involved. If a single, if a solo poly or single person meets a partnered person, There's a caring of the entire ecology that is happening there. Everyone's needs matter. Everyone's vote counts. And then the goal of that to be creating healthy, fulfilling, but also sustainable open relationships. Sustainability is not something I hear a lot about in this space. I hear a lot about, well, longevity is not a measure of success. And I get it. And usually, when a relationship has been well-cultivated, it sustains, right? And we like to keep the relationships that we love. I don't think, I don't know many people that go in going, I really hope this doesn't last long. (laughs) I really like this person. I hope it ends soon. No one really (laughs) says that. So that's part of our philosophy of slowness where there's no Guns blazing. I'm the sheriff around these parts now. You can't tell me what to do. No one like that is reserved for certain groups and totally fine. If that works, you know, those extreme polar ends work for people. Great. But we're about finding the sweet, juicy, decadent middle that is different for everyone along the spectrum and it can be fine tuned over time and adjusted and people truly do care about this extended family that we're really building through this. Yeah, and if I could put some color on that as an example, um Leah and I are dating Heather um and we've been dating her for about 8 months or so and Ecoamory looks like well her husband's having a hard time because they're just coming into polyamory so shy reaches out to let him know that he's available for support. And then the husband says, no, but then shy reaches out again and says, <laughs> Hey, I'm here for you. If you need me, I'd love to you know, feel your heart and have you feel mine. And then eventually the husband comes around and then we build this rapport and he's like, I can't believe I'm talking to you. I just sent the longest WhatsApp message I've ever sent to anybody in my life. And <laughs> thank you so much. And like a lot of gratitude and all of that. And that can ebb and flow, but 
ecoamory is that metamorph relationship and how beautiful uh, for me, I think it's the most beautiful part of what we do is shedding the mindset of competition by building brotherhood and sisterhood and healing all the wounds of competition, like really, truly healing all those moments when we were teenagers and we were rejected and broken up with because the, your, your, your girlfriend or boyfriend moved on to somebody else. And there's so much pain there for us of being left behind and abandoned. Who hasn't experienced abandonment or rejection? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so common. And let's heal that. Let's, let's just name it and heal it. And that is what e- a part of ecoamory that, that, um, that, you know, resonates for me. Yeah. And yeah. it's not even necessarily that you have to be best friends with your metamor, you know, polyamory for me doesn't require a deep relationship between metamors, but what ecoamory stands for is that people care about championing the relationships that we have with each other and wish to be adding to that value even though they might be very confronting and challenging and hard to accept, there's still this aspect of saying we're all these human beings, we're all tender, um, and it's a practice in vulnerability and compassion. These are really the pillars of our way. Yeah, it really sounds like it has um, the, the, the campsite uh, the campsite rule, right? Leave it better than, than yes. we found it. <laughs> That's yeah, right. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. We want to leave people better than we found them for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. That's right. I love that. Oh, I love that. That's the best. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Shy and Leah, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is beautiful. I could, I could seriously talk to you guys all day long. Yeah, let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, round two. Round two. <laughs> totally. Thank you so much for listening today. It would mean the world to me personally and would help us keep this little podcast going if you would subscribe, leave a review, or share this episode with your friends. For more personalized support with your own relationships, we can work together on a one-to-one basis. Just visit my website at aliciapain.com and schedule a free call to chat about life, the universe, and your relationships. Bye.